0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geekab episode 595 for Sunday, March 6th, 2016. <laughs> Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in cool stuff found questions and tips. We share your cool stuff found, we answer your questions, we share your tips. Together, the goal is to learn at least three new things each and every time we get together. This episode is sponsored in part by PDF Pen Pro from Smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek, Casper. At Casper.com slash MGG, where MGG saves you 50 bucks off of a new mattress. And Harry's at Harry's.com, where coupon code SHAVE5OFF saves you five bucks. We'll talk all about those and many, many other things very, very shortly here. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairville, Connecticut, John F. Braun. You know, I suppose it's better to say here in Durham, New Hampshire, USA, I'm Dave Hamilton. Because, uh... We have many international listeners. There's no reason to assume that uh you know I mean I think everybody knows when we say Durham, New Hampshire, Fairfield, Connecticut, that we imply USA, but uh but it could also be taken as we uh we don't consider our international listeners, and actually that's quite untrue as our international listeners know. So how are you today, Mr. Braun? Assuming that you uh, are in um,
1: fact in the United States of America. Yeah, I actually added that to my Twitter profile a while ago. Uh-huh. Fearful Connecticut, USA, earth so People know what country I'm in. Milk solar yeah, I system. Don't think, Milky I don't think Way. that's necessary
0: yet. Or inter for our intergalactic listeners.
1: Yeah. I haven't heard from them yet.
0: <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's do uh, let's dive right in. Let's see what we got here. George writes. We'll do, we've, uh, it's a cool stuff found week. So we've got uh, five or six things that we'll blast through here. He says, uh, I came across something called haze over. Uh, I can't remember where I heard about it, including the possibility it was on MGG. I don't think so. This sounded new to me, but, you know, it's been 10 and a half years. So what do we know? Uh, almost 11, in fact. He says it's an inexpensive Mac app that can dim non-front windows. It's very simple and has just the right simple controls. Uh, and and it is. It's it is. It's built for helping you focus on your work. Right, so you launch HazeOver, and it uh, it sort of blurs out. It's like uh, adding focus in a in a way. So cool. Thank you for uh, thank you for sharing that, George. Good stuff. Good stuff. And George is a premium listener, so thank you for uh, thank you for that too. And uh, on the premium listener front, Pam says. I hope all is well. I recently came across this amazing hard drive SSD diagnostic monitoring utility called drive DX. Not sure if you've heard of it before, but it's fast and gives me very detailed stats much more than any other utility I've used. There's a free trial and it's 20 bucks for a single license, 40 for a five pack and other pricing for commercial use. It's worth checking out. And Pam is a, uh, um, a very respected member of the Mac E-Cab community. She has been, Uh, providing us great tech geeky details like many of you do over the years. So when uh, Pam is, Pam is one of one of the, one of those who, when something like this comes along that we haven't heard about, it's still worth checking out.
1: So did you check it out, John? Well, we have mentioned it, Dave, in a roundabout way. Okay. I'll tell you how. Yeah. Because these are the good folks that actually signed. Remember we were talking about that sat smart driver. Yeah this is uh, on the same page for that product is a place where you can download oh. the signed sat smart driver so normally you can only obtain smart parameters from a drive on your SATA bus. os 10 does not include right the capability to do this on a drive that is external but there is a driver and it's it's a Open source, but um, the problem is the person that made it didn't sign it. And with the increased security under uh, especially the latest OS, if a driver is not signed, it's not going to load. So these guys took it and actually signed it. So you can, and, and it, it, it complements their software nicely, I think, because they can do the monitoring not only of your internal drive, but your external drives. Until right. it up. Uh, yeah, I, I totally remember you. Uh, talking about that but
0: uh didn't realize that it was the same binary fruit folks that did it so uh, very very cool man very cool thank you for uh for that okay uh moving along to keith uh keith said i wanted to leave a review about the new belkin screen protector I live about 100 miles away from the closest Apple store. So about a week ago when I was near an Apple store, I stopped and inquired about the new screen protector for which they have a machine to place it on your phone. As per the Apple store, everybody was very helpful. The machine was more of an aligning jig than a machine. However, the store associate brought it out to a table and very carefully removed my my old screen protector, meticulously cleaned my phone, and then placed my phone in the jig with the new screen protector. And just a few seconds later, the screen protector was applied and it was aligned perfectly. Uh, he says, I've been strictly a fan of Zag invisible shield screen protectors before. I like to use my phone with a very minimal case, the Apple silicone case. So I'm always concerned about adding a little extra protection for the screen. The new Belkin screen is just beautiful. It's perfectly smooth, optically, almost imperceptible and a joy to use on the touch surface. So, yeah, this is um, Belkin has created, as he said, a you know, kind of a little it's like a tray that holds the phone in exactly the right position so that the screen protector can be applied And uh, Belkin says that it is a bendable glass that that this thing is applying onto your screen. So, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of glass screen protection. Uh, They call it Invisiglass and is, is a flexible glass that has been engineered with fluid flex technology to give it a unique elasticity. So that sounds good. And it sounds like Keith likes it. So, uh, so we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but yeah, the Apple stores, many of them, you can go, we'll put a, a a link. the, The link will have easy for me to say the link will have a way to find stores that have them. So, uh, so there you go. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Keith and to Scott, Scott writes, I'm going to recommend a program that is more expensive than others, but I just found to be very useful. If you are a Mac user doing research that involves old or copied documents, where the documents may be scanned pages from old publications and where the pages have tables, images, and other elements that are not straightforward, then I have a program for you. Abbey FineReader Pro for the Mac is a phenomenal program. I'm doing research that involves old government publications and documents rather than going to a library. I found copies of the documents online scanned from the original. In some cases, like Google Books, there's a version from their OCR, but the capabilities are primitive. Government documents have tables, exhibit pages, and some of them are in landscape mode. Many of these pages have headers, footers, page numbers, and other elements that you cannot—that if you cannot control them—will find themselves in the middle of the text. Not with Abby Fine Reader. After downloading an imaged uh, 1869 congressional report, over 200 pages long as a PDF. I ran it through Abby, Abby fine reader for the Mac and using only the default settings after a bit, uh, over two hours, the document was fully converted with a very good representation as a word document. So this is pretty cool stuff. It's, uh, I think it's about 120 bucks, but, uh, you know, if, if you need something that's very meticulous at its, uh, scanning and all that, then, uh, that's, there you go. So thank you very much, Scott. Good stuff. You know, Dave,
1: I've yes? used that software in the past. Really? How may you ask? Yeah. Well, actually, a, a little while ago, I did a review of a Fujitsu ScanSnap S1100, uh, which, in my humble opinion, is a fine scanner. It's very uh, small form factor. Uh, but at the time, so a heads up to people, is that a lot of times the scanner manufacturers um, will bundle, um, I don't think they bundle the Pro version, but they did bundle a version of Abbey Fine Breeder Pro. And, um, uh Interesting. And they they've been around for a long time. They uh they, they have some pretty decent OCR. Yeah. So um so if you're buying an image scanner, you may get um a version of this, maybe a baby version, uh bundled with it just to sure. make it useful. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So
0: interesting stuff. All right. Moving on to Michael. This is truly Um, falls in the category of just cool stuff found. Uh, He shared with us an email he got from Western digital that they, they have new eight terabyte helium sealed hard drives. Uh, And they say this technology reduces internal resistance for improved performance, optimized power consumption and greater capacity. So a, it's cool that we've got eight terabyte hard drives out there. Uh, And B it's even cooler that they're uh, helium sealed. So I mean I guess it, you know, helps things move around in there. What what do, you, what do you think about this, John?
1: Um last I heard helium is in short supply, so you gotta be careful with that. Huh. Don't don't go inhaling it from a right. stuff. That's just a waste. Yeah. But um but I know that uh, certain gases, yeah, um in certain environments can uh do good things. I I I wonder who who at WD thought of that. Oh let's put helium in there and see what <laughs> see what it does yeah
0: yeah you know i um I, i'm gonna add this in because it's uh it's just cool it has nothing to do with the mac but i love it when tech uh comes around like this i recently took part in a uh study that uh bauer which is a uh they, they're a sporting goods manufacturer uh, that uh make like you know uh gear for for people playing hockey and, and other sports too but Anyway, they've got this new product coming out, which is, um, built to help, uh, reduce the impact of, uh, minor traumatic brain injuries. Right. And, and the way they, uh, the way they f- stumbled onto this thing is they studied woodpeckers and they said, they, they asked, why is it that a woodpecker can bang its head against a tree repeatedly without suffering any issues? You know, what is it about the woodpecker's physiology? And the answer is it's, There's nothing about the woodpecker's physiology except that its tongue is long enough that when it goes to bang its head against the tree, it actually wraps its tongue around its neck, putting pressure on its jugular vein or whatever its analog to its jugular vein is and essentially increasing by by putting pressure on the jugular vein, it causes less blood to drain out of the brain, keeping the pressure a little bit higher in the brain, which then helps to cushion the brain when, when the head is doing all this banging. So they've developed this little, um, it's like a collar you wear around your neck. It kind of goes around the the back and, and comes to the front, just past the jugular. And it has to be, you have to buy the right size for you. And they don't, it's not out yet. It's still in clinical trials, but it's public. You know, we can talk about it, but, uh, Very, very cool stuff. I mean, just, you know, I love things like this where it's this simple solution and it does, they say it keeps about five CC extra uh, blood in your head and it helps to cushion things. And obviously the studies are being done, so they can't really talk about the efficacy of it yet, but uh, it sounds like it's, it's, it's likely to be effective if they've gone this far with the, uh, with the product development. So it's just cool stuff. You know what I mean? Woodpeckers. (laughs) Who knew? I didn't know they wrapped their tongues around
1: their necks. Did you? Uh, no, I mean I've uh I've just heard them and on occasion gotten pictures of them and um Really they do? Yeah wow.
0: <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> I I'll know. have to take a I'll have to get a video and, and verify that. Yup. <laughs> it's pretty
0: crazy. It's pretty crazy. So yeah, the next time you're banging your head against a wall solving a tech problem, just apply a little gentle pressure to your jugular vein to keep yourself from uh from hurting your head or hurting your brain. But uh
1: <laughs> but no it is an interesting area because i know that uh concussions and all that yeah. in, in both you know pro sports and any sport is yeah. is bad news man because it's bad like, news it's, yeah yeah if you don't detect it then you can't treat it and i guess yeah that's had a uh, pretty negative effects for certain people like <laughs> up to and including death yeah
0: yeah, well, and it's it's not just at the it, very least, it, and it's not just concussions either. It's you know having a, a child who plays hockey. This is you know something we've we've researched. It's it's the, the concussions are bad, but you're usually aware of when a concussion when someone is concussed, right? Because there's these obvious instant symptoms and and all of that, and and so you know to sort of deal with it. The bigger issue is what what they call MTB or minor traumatic brain injury when you've got this you know small little hits like like in football, right? You know where Every play, you know, it's not just maybe once every season you might get a concussion if that right in in, in like hockey. I mean, my son has never had a concussion from from hockey, um, but with football, you know, every play you've got these these little little hits, you know, you're because you're, you're that's part of how the game works. And uh, so it's it's that kind of repetitive minor injury that that they're looking to solve with this with this woodpecker band. Then anyway, it's cool stuff. Couldn't, uh, couldn't, couldn't resist. All right. Back to a much geekier topic. Jason, uh, writes, he found two videos. One is a nine minute video that does a great job. He says, explaining public key encryption, something we all should understand. And then another one do, uh, explaining RSA encryption. So we'll put both of these in the show notes and, uh, And, and uh, it is good to watch these things, you know, especially understanding how uh, the the public key one, especially, and we've talked about it on the show and maybe we've explained it uh, well enough for you, but uh, you know, the the concept of using two keys and they're paired, but one can be shared with anyone because all it can do is encrypt data. And then the other one is what you keep private to decrypt data and all of that. And, and really how, you know, when you encrypt something, you're not encrypting the whole data package with, the person's public key you're, you're encrypting it with a session key and then the session key is what's encrypted with the public key it gets very complex but really not that complex if you just take your time through it and nine minutes is, is the fastest i've seen it explained well i think when we tried to do it on this show it was about 15 or 20 so you know there you go so we'll put those uh we'll put those in the show notes for you
1: mm-hmm. thank Hi you Jason. how i learned how did you learn i learned in the trenches man yeah, i was well, writing code yeah this was back in the 90s i actually was using the RSA be safe. Software okay. Toolkit. Okay. And so, uh, I was actually writing it as it was happening. Um, so that's another way to learn. Is, that is, uh, you know, learn how to develop software and then get a crypto toolkit and, uh, and go for it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting stuff though. Now, <laughs> yeah, just writing, you know, and doing it properly. I mean, I was working with some really brilliant mathematicians and security people and, uh, watching them like analyze the security and like, fi- especially finding when it wasn't done right. That was, oh. I, I still remember we actually, at one point was using, remember the clipper chip this is going. Oh yeah. Days, it was a, well, we actually wanted to use some of its functionality. And so we actually ordered some, we, we wanted to use its random number generator. Cause that's very important for, for proper cryptography. Sure. And we got some and one of our like math crypto guys, you know, and so we, we were using it and, and he was like, you know, this is wrong. And, and we found out they actually gave us some that were were in like test mode. They weren't actually running true random number generation. They were actually running a pseudo generation when they shouldn't have been. Because we got back to them and we we're like, guys, your, your, your random number generator sucks. And they're like, whoops. Uh, yeah, we, we gave you the wrong product. Let's, let's give you the, the good one. <laughs> wow. Huh. <laughs> okay. That's a wow, bit in a bit too much detail, but yeah, it's That's always good crazy. to understand the fundamentals of of all this stuff here, especially yeah. in light of certain uh, certain things happening in the world. Exactly, what oh, was happening?
0: Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I actually put up an article this week. We'll we'll put a link to it in the uh, in the show notes. Oh, um, that was good. Yeah, yeah. I you know th- there was there been a lot there has been a lot of talk about how Apple uh, holds the keys to some but not all of the data that that you store. And more specifically, it's, it was iCloud backups that, that have come into the news just because of this, this San Bernardino case. And people were asking, well, why does Apple hold the keys to my iCloud backups? And, and so I put together a list of lots of services that we use, including Apple's, but also Google's and and Dropbox and things like that. And most of these cloud services that we use, certainly not all backblaze and crash plan, give you the option of using your own keys, even though you're storing on their servers. But most of the the cloud services that we use are using their own keys to encrypt the data, which, as I like to call it, means that it's secure until a subpoena. And again, on the surface, you would say, why is it that you want to do that? Well, the answer is convenience, right? You know, we live on this continuum between Uber security and ultimate convenience, right? And the thing is, you know, when you get a new iPhone, and you log in to your iCloud account, and magically your backup is able to be restored to your iPhone, well, how do you think it got decrypted, right? Well, the answer is Apple has the keys. Now, they only will use the keys once you've authenticated yourself, but it's still encrypted with their key, meaning if someone gets access to Apple's data store, either through legal or illegal means, uh, and thus far we believe it's only been through legal means, But uh, then they can, you know, Apple can decrypt that data for you, whether they choose to or not uh, is a whole other story. And Dropbox is the same way. You log into Dropbox on a new computer and magically it's able to sync down all your data from Dropbox's cloud. How? Dropbox has the keys. You know, if you back up with Backblazer CrashPlan and use their keys, well, then you can restore by just authenticating to your account. However, if you use your own key and you go to restore, you have to also then provide the key. And I will tell you, if you do not know that key, you will not get your data. There is no step two. They cannot recover that key for you. And so that's, it's an important distinction. And it's important to understand why we want Apple and Dropbox and companies like that to have the keys to our data uh, if we want that level of convenience. So it's just, you know, so I put that article up to kind of put it all in the context as succinctly as I could. Th- any thoughts on that John yeah
1: no it's um the keys are long enough where brute forcing one is is not a conceivable option for most entities right <laughs> um, yeah like you said it, 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 it and, and it, it gets into that this is what PKI which is public key infrastructure this is a whole well that that's the topic right. is managing the keys is is a hard problem to do properly and a lot of times you have to err on the side of convenience as you said because if you lose the key there's no way i mean a lot of these are 128 or 256 bit you're not going to brute force that you're, no. you're you're done you're you're finished that's right so that's right sometimes having someone hold on to the key that you hopefully trust is a viable option
0: yeah yeah yeah. it's uh it's just how it works you know i i, I always equate it to all right. It's easy to equate it to your house, right? Uh, you can choose to live in a house that is nothing. You can just brick up all your walls, right? But then you can't get in or out, but easily. And of course no one else can get in or out easily, but maybe you want to put a door in so that you can get out. Well, that, and that means somebody else can get in, right? And maybe you want some windows because you like to let the sunlight in and see outside. Well, okay. Now that's another, you know, potential attack vector, and, and you kind of have to decide, well, wh- you know, what's more important to me where, where on this line, I don't just want to lay all my stuff out in the yard when I leave, cause that makes it easier for people to take it. You know, where, where do you want to live on that, on that line? And, and, uh, and your digital life is the same way. That's how I think about it anyway. All right, John, we have, uh. We have one last cool stuff found, which then also, uh, will become a question. So, uh, so Pete, take it away.
2: Hi, Dave, John, and Pilot B. This is Pete from Wisconsin, uh, currently listening to MGG 593. Uh, great show, by the way, guys. Thanks for, for doing the podcast. But i uh, got a cool stuff found or a, a comment for the um, the activity monitor discussion and also a question. The uh, question is completely unrelated, but I'll start with the CSF. Uh, activity monitor, there is actually a keyboard shortcut for um. For for quitting a process, uh, Option Command Q. Uh, I Use that quite often when I'm browsing uh, sites like Ars Technica or uh, or Mac Observer. If there's anything that's that's flash-related, I tend to kill that plugin as quickly as I can get to it, and that's always uh, a great keyboard shortcut to have at hand. Um, the question is uh, about routers, um, specifically wireless routers. I'm completely changing. Well, not completely, but. Pretty well, completely changing uh, my home network scheme Uh, right now. I just have a, uh, I think a, not the latest generation, but the previous generation uh, Airport Extreme. Uh, It's been serving me pretty well, but um, adding a couple more devices to my network, including a uh, a new twenty-one and half-inch Retina iMac. I uh, was wondering what you would have as a suggestion for a, for a new router. Um, been kind of looking at the Netgear R7000. Uh, wondered what your thoughts were on that, or if there was anything else that you would recommend in that specific price category. Uh, thanks again for doing the show, and uh, here's where you cut me off.
0: All right, we'll cut you off. No problem. Um, yeah, so for routers now, th- first, thank you for the the keyboard shortcut to activity monitor. I actually shared that with my daughter when, when your note came in and uh, figured I would share it here as well, because it is handy to know that you can uh, do that right from the list. So good stuff. Um, As far as routers uh, there are the R 7,000 is a tried and true router. A lot of people are happy with that. Uh, It is, I don't want to call it older technology because it's not, It's been out for a couple of years. There's nothing wrong with that. Like I said, it's tried and true. If you want something newer that might serve you well for several years, not that the R7000 won't, you kind of have to start thinking about how big your, your house is, how big your coverage area is. uh, And, and possibly considering a tri-band router, which allows you to do things like I'm doing where I use the second five gigahertz band only for, uh, my, my client, uh, my, my, my distributed system, right? So I've got two other access points in the house that are, that are dual band connecting to the uh, five, the second five gigahertz band of my main router. And that's their backbone. It's not ethernet anymore. I explained this a couple of weeks ago, but uh, you know, I'm not using power line because the five gigahertz stuff is actually faster when you've got two routers talking to each other, I'm getting anywhere between say 250 and 400 megabits per second depending on which corner of my house I'm shooting it to and uh and so that's how I'm getting my my you know network spread across sort of the corners of the of the house and then those second routers that are just dual band routers are only broadcasting 2.4 gigahertz so the 5 gigahertz band between the two routers is dedicated to just that pipe and it keeps things from getting slow and you know all of that crazy stuff. So if if you might need to do that depending on your setup, then consider a tri-band router. And there's and there's several of them out there. Uh I'm using the Netgear R8500 at the moment, but you know, there's there's others. D-Link's got uh, several that we're going to be checking out this year and um you know, so so there's that. And then if you want to uh if you want to look at some of the newer tech it's on the dual band router side because dual band might be enough for for you. You know, dual band is going to be enough for for most people, and that but that what they call the AC nineteen hundred range, which is AC nineteen hundred is when you add up the the speeds of the two radios, the maximum theoretical speeds of the two radios, you get to yeah. nineteen hundred, right? Which is
1: what I got. Yeah, right. So you got one, one of those. Of them. So the TP Link. So another line I could recommend looking at, and actually I know a lot of the Mac cool kids, um, are very happy with this one. So at one point Wirecutter actually recommended the TP link Archer C seven. I got the C nine because it has some slightly different features though. I think the performance based on their tests was not quite as good. If you're looking, if you're looking to squeak maximum performance, um, but, but for me it's fine. You know, it has three antennas, uh, gigabit USB ports, um, you know, a uh, uh, 2.4 or five gigahertz and 802.11 AC. And, uh, I'm quite pleased with it. And the price, I mean, it was like, you know, a hundred something bucks. I mean, I don't think you can go wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the beautiful thing is I think for most people, you know, I've, I've said, and will continue to say that this year is the year of the router. And, uh, I you know the the R eighty five or the sorry the, sorry I'm I'm typing our show notes and and talking here the AC nineteen hundred range which is what you're talking about there with yours the Archer C eight and the or C
1: nine I guess is what you've got right which yeah is a, and the C seven was one that was recently endorsed so right like the whole TP Link Archer C seven nine and, yeah. and similar. Yeah, but that you know that AC
0: nineteen hundred range of the R seven thousand your thing, and then there's some new ones coming into that uh, that market that I that I that I've really been impressed with. One is the brand new Netgear, uh, sorry, the brand new Linksys EA seventy five hundred, and that's an AC nineteen hundred router, but it will do mute what's called mu MIMO or multi user MIMO where you have multiple streams available and clients that also support the standard and there aren't many yet, but they're coming uh, can connect simultaneously to your router. So right now uh, the way uh, MIMO works, which is uh, multiple in multiple out, obviously, or, or more work simply said as multiple streams on any given radio means that you can have, one client talking over multiple streams to the router. And that's how even with, you know, 2.4 gigahertz, you can have each 802.11 end stream only does 150 megabits. But if you have three streams, well, now you can do 450 megabits, right? Or if you have four streams, you can do 600 megabits and that's how these routers work in fact that's how the 1900 routers work they have four streams of that and then they have the 1300 at five gigahertz with 802.11 ac and now you add those together and you get 1900 but if your client like my macbook air only supports two streams then all i can get out of that router at 2.4 gigahertz is 300 megabits per second and that means when my computer's talking to the router those other two streams lie dormant Well, with multi-user MIMO, as long as the clients and the router support it, those other two streams could be used for another client simultaneously. And that's where things start getting really interesting. And, you know, it's what it's what needs to happen in our homes is we've got all these devices talking all the time. So the Linksys EA 7500 supports MU MIMO. And again, that's something you might want two years down the road, maybe even a year down the road as more and more of your devices start to support this. On top of that, their interface is outstanding. Uh, really, really nicely done. I've been really happy testing that one out. So uh, I, I can definitely recommend that. Another one is Synology's new router. Uh, it's a, it too is a 1900 router and it is outstanding. The, the interface on this, it's called the RT-1900AC. It's the best interface I've ever seen on a router hands down. There's, there's no question about it. Uh, they're new to the router game, but they're not new to the network-connected device game, right? They, they've been building these disk stations for a long time. So there were some, you know, hiccups as they kind of got this router rolled out. But having, you know, a decade plus of web-based UI uh, knowledge go into building the web-based UI for for this uh, for this router. And it's not just web-based UI knowledge. It's like enterprise grade web-based UI knowledge because it's how disk station manager works. And it's really, really deep and robust. You've got this gorgeous interface on the, uh, Synology router. It makes things really easy to get to really, really configurable. But, uh, you just, again, just like the disk station, there's so much to it that there's stuff I haven't even found out on my disk station. you know, I've been a disk station user for five or six years now. So, uh, the router interface is is the same way. It's an RT nineteen hundred, yeah it's RT nineteen hundred AC is the the model, but it's the only router Synology makes. I, I and so that's another one to check out. It does not yet do MU MIMO, and I actually I don't I don't think this one will, but uh, but that's worth checking out too. So some some new ones, some new entrants on the market as uh, as things get interesting
1: this year. So I just wanted to throw those out. You know, I just did an upgrade yesterday, Dave. Yes. <laughs> Well, it was at my parents. And uh, typically when I go there, so so we call a kids dinner, which basically, you know, me and, and my sister and my parents and maybe brother-in-law and some other family get together and just hang out. And a lot of times I'll bring along some of my older technology to upgrade them. So actually I upgraded them from the Airport Extreme 802.11 and third generation to fourth generation. Because I had okay. kind of a selfish goal is that I'd like to get better speeds. And basically the difference between the two. So number one, i got to give, you know, hats off to Apple and a lot of the other vendors too, but they make it real easy to migrate. So basically you want to be sure if you're going to migrate, uh, you know, most devices that you export a configuration file. So dude, this was like, I did this like in a minute. So I exported the configuration file, put the new one in, imported. And the difference between the two is that the old one was, I think, two by two and this new one is three by three. So, ah, so everybody gets yeah, better speeds. That, no, that's good. That's really good.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah and, and and probably better range too right
1: Uh one one would think <laughs> uh, looking at them Yeah yeah, it was it, uh, again they hit the third generation so that's going to go the recycling and fourth generation is the last Apple 802.11 then that I had and I figure I'd give it give it to them Sure sure Yeah 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 so um but yeah when I looked at Mac Tracker, the, the major difference between the two, so they both you know support two point four and five gig and all that. The the major difference that I could tell between the two is that again, the fourth generation Apple product is three by three. So in theory you can get what, four fifty megabits, I guess? Or six, I bet. Three by three is four fifty, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whereas so right. their old one, I guess you could get three hundred in theory. Yeah, it was so a one. two by two. So makes everybody right. happy. Yeah. My dad has an iPad and then I got the iPhone and my brother-in-law, he's got an iPad. So, uh, you know, the TiVo, you know, their TiVo is tied in on 802. So, um, starts adding up. Yeah. Yeah, it does. That's the thing is right. It, it, you know, even if you rewind 18
0: months, we just didn't have as many devices, not only using wireless, but using lots of bandwidth with wireless, right? You know, we've got our phones uploading pictures, we're streaming Netflix at the same time. You know, there's just so much going on that that you really need a router that can that can stand up to the yep. challenge.
1: Yeah. And the other thing is that, the, so they were getting phone calls and they didn't understand quite what the person was saying. But basically Comcast was pestering them saying, uh, your modem's ancient. You need a new one. Okay. So I checked it. I checked, you know, the doxus status page and they had a Doxus 2 modem. And it's like, oh, uh, okay. So they lease it like a lot of people do with Comcast. And so, you know, I called them up um, and said, yeah, can you ship out the uh, the new one? Because they, uh, oddly enough, <laughs> don't manage their account online. They're old school. Sure. They get a bill every month. They get their internet, their TV, and their phone through Comcast. They yeah. get a bill every month. They write a check. Yep, a check, believe it or not. And they've never manage their account online at some point i'll get them to do that but i was able to get through somebody on the telephone and say yeah okay here's the address and they knew who we were because we were calling from you know their VoIP. right right and They're like yeah well we'll ship out the product you know it's a self-install kit and uh so they'll get Doxis three which uh one would assume like when i upgraded uh that they should get better even though they get good speeds now 30 30 down five up i'm sure they'll get much better once they get the Doxis three modem
0: yeah and you know i had um A friend of mine called me this week and he said, he said, you know, I'm having problems with, he he had just a service outage, which happens to all of us occasionally, you know? And he said, yeah, you know, Comcast has been telling me to upgrade my modem. I think it's just a scam. I think they just want, you know, and I'm like, well, are you, you know, do you own your modem now? He's like, yeah, I own my modem, but they're telling me I need to upgrade. I think it's a scam. Well, what kind of modem is it? Oh, you know, how old is it? Uh, It's probably, you know, six or seven years old, but it works fine. Okay. Have, what have they been saying? You know, did they, did they send you emails that said you should upgrade? Yeah, but I think it's a scam. Okay. Well here, let's talk about your modem. And like you said, it turns out to be, uh, I think he had a D3 modem, a DOCSIS three, but it was, you know, a, a four stream modem. And in order to get the speeds that Comcast is pushing to most people, you need an eight stream, I think. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, we did the math and I'm like, look, you know, you're paying for speed. You're not getting because you're using this slower uh, this lower modem. And so he's like, Oh, so you really think I should upgrade I'm like, Yeah. But Comcast is telling you this, <laughs> you know, he's like, Oh, they're always trying to scam me. Like, okay. You no. know, so Comcast has a bad name with people. Uh, some people I, I, I've actually had mostly really pleasant experience with it, but you know, we always have problems. They're our service provider. So there's
1: always oh, something. I do too. Yeah. My only concern is that I think what they're going to do with this one is they're going to, by default, that you can request them to not do this. I think they're going to enable, a hotspot by default because actually when i was at their place and i and i fired up my phone i actually did see xfinity wi-fi on my phone so i'm sure, sure they're populating their they already populated their neighborhood and the good news is actually for me is that there's like a cross licensing between uh my isp and xfinity so actually i was able to log into that xfinity right spot right uh, the, you know, the speeds weren't as good as the one that was right there. But yeah, so in this case also, they're going to get, they're almost guaranteed, and I, I see in our chat room here, from our, uh, um, I, I, I won't call them the peanut gallery, uh, at macgeek.com. Stop ringing your hands, stream. John. We
0: can hear you wringing your hands. Oh, gosh. <laughs>
1: um, wow, that mic is good. Yeah. Um, but Brian Monroe says uh, they should be getting 50 or 70 down and 10 up, so... Their modem is definitely holding them back. Because yeah, I'm I, like I said, I measured thirty down and five up. Yeah. So yeah, can't wait and hope they'll. Uh, yeah, and as he said, also you you can request that they disable the uh, the Xfinity
0: hotspot. Actually, you can do that yourself. You can go into the online interface and and change that, and then you can also go into Comcast's interface and uh and disable the routing functionality of your cable modem if you truly want it to be just a pass-through device and and run your own router and all of that so you may you may there may be another visit to your parents house because if they send them what they are likely to send them it's going to be a all inclusive device that does routing and wireless and all of that so actually it may work better than the the uh, router you just gave them, so you might take the airport out of the mix. But either way, you're going to need to go and remanage this for them. And it might be better to to have them, you know, totally in in Comcast world. They're not geeks like us. They don't necessarily need the the tweakability of things. Not that Apple offers you much in the way of tweakability, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So so be aware of that. That it it might not be a ten
1: minute swap out. I'm yeah. Uh, again, especially if they make it because right now, as far as I can tell, it's a pass-through. It, it's just a cable modem. It's right. acting as a router. The new one will like not The new be. one. Yeah, so let me get double. NAT. so maybe I'll have to turn the airport into a, put it in bridge mode or something.
0: Yeah, or the other way around. What I did for my dad was I, I you know, he had a router that was working very well for him and had some features that he was using. And, you know, it, it made sense for him to keep his router. And it may well make sense for your parents to keep theirs. So I just went into Comcast's interface and put the put the router in dumb mode. And then it was like, okay, fine. You want me to turn off my radios and my, you know, just be a, just essentially be a bridged cable modem. Like the old thing was no problem. And you well, can I'll do send that.
1: Them, I'll send them a note because the thing is that they said that you have to call them to activate it. I guess to provision it, you know, Yeah, Mac you got to give them the Mac address. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So while they're on the phone with that person, I, I may tell them, okay. Um, you know, tell them that you have an airport and you would no, like, you're going to have to go do this. Trust me
0: on this. No. All right. <laughs> it's, it'll be easier for your parents. Yeah. Yeah. You're heading them down. They're going to be asked questions. You can, pre- you can prep them for some of the answers, but probably not all of them. All right. Yeah. 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 But it's fun. You know, it gets to see your parents again. That's not so bad. All right. Uh, you know what I want to do, John is I want to, uh, I, I want to talk about our sponsors. How's that sound to you? Fantastic. All right. Our first sponsor today is Harry's at harrys.com. And I have a story to tell you. We were recently down on vacation in Florida and my daughter said, look, I got to go to the drugstore. Can I get you anything? And I had like some, I don't know, stuff I needed to get or whatever, but it should have cost like, you know, 15 bucks or whatever. And, uh, you know, because I have Apple pay and she was using my credit card. I saw this charge come through for, you know, like almost 50 bucks. And uh and when she got back, like, whoa, you know, how much did you spend on, on this stuff? She's like, oh, your thing was only like fifteen, twenty bucks. I'm like, well, what was the other money for? She said, Well, I, I told you I needed to go get razors. And I'm like, yeah, but but she's like, razors are expensive, dude. That's what she tells me. And she's right, for 25 bucks, she got like a tiny little tube of crummy little, you know, shave gel or whatever, and a five-pack of razors that she was gonna use like one of and throw away or whatever because they weren't all that great. 25 bucks. That's what she was railroaded into spending at the pharmacy. Well, I told her, I said, look, you know, we gotta get you on the Harry's train because check this out. You know, for 15 bucks, I can get you a Harry's handle, three blades, the nice travel cover, and either you know, foaming gel or the shave cream. And she's like, did you say 15? And I said, well, yeah, but you know, we have the coupon shave five off the shave, the number five OFF. So we shave five bucks. So it'll be 10. She said, wait, I thought you said 50. I've seen you and Lucas use that stuff. I thought that stuff was like 50 bucks. I'm like it looks like it's 50 bucks, doesn't it? No, it's 15 bucks, but you don't even pay 15. You pay 10 and it's shipped to you for free. Coupon code SHAVE the number 5 OFF. These are the best razors you're going to use. And it's the best price I've ever seen for any razor, let alone razors of this quality. You folks have to check this out. Harry's.com. Remember that coupon code SHAVE the number 5 OFF. Not only does it save you five bucks, that's how they know we sent you. So it all works out. Win, win, win. Our thanks to Harry's for sponsoring this episode. Speaking of very useful blades, our second sponsor, Smile, has the Swiss Army knife for PDFs, PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro. In fact, PDF Pen Pro is like the knife with so many tools, it can barely fit in your pocket. But the beauty is, it actually does. PDF Pen Pro has all the tools to add, like, signatures. You can edit text and images inside of a PDF. If that doesn't blow your mind that we live in a world where you can edit that stuff, it should. Uh, You know, because that's how it is. You know, it can perform OCR on scanned documents, and PDF Pen Pro can export in Microsoft Word format. So you take, you start with a PDF, you do some edits, you share it as a Word document. This is pretty good stuff. Only PDF Pen Pro can create interactive forms. It can build you a table of contents. It can set document permissions. Ever open a PDF and it says you can read this and you can do a little bit to it, but you can't do other things? PDF Pen Pro lets you can create those. You can go get a free demo for your Mac. Go to smilesoftware.com geek and you can get a free demo trial of PDF Pen Pro 7 right now. This is one of those pieces of software. I don't use it every day, but when I use it, I need it. Can't live without it. You probably can't either. You'll find out by going to smilesoftware.com slash geek. That's where you can download PDF pen or PDF pen pro seven free trial demo. Our thanks to smile for sponsoring this episode. After all that shaving and cutting and PDFing, you're going to need a good night's sleep. And our third sponsor, Casper at casper.com slash MGG, is where you're going to go to get the mattress that's going to give you that great night's sleep. You're also going to use coupon code MGG there to save you 50 bucks. Now, here's the thing Casper engineers this awesome mattress, right? They build it, they've tested it, they've perfected it. I should know I have one, it's outstanding. It's the best mattress I've ever used. This thing should cost probably $1,500 for a king-size mattress of this quality. It's got all kinds of different foam. It's got memory foam to cradle you. It's got latex foam to make sure you don't get sweaty. It's like all this stuff that they've thought about so you don't have to. It even comes in a box that's engineered really well makes it through all your doors, you open it up, it's got this cool little like letter opener and they tell you exactly where to put it and you slice along this easy little piece of wrap and then boom, the thing opens up and you're good to go. You've got to check this out. But like I said, it should be $1,500. It's not. The king size mattress, the most expensive mattress that you could possibly buy from them is $950. But if you've been paying attention, you know that coupon code MGG Brings that down to 900 bucks. Gets even better. Free shipping in both directions if you decide within the first 100 nights that you don't like it. So it costs you nothing if you order this thing and decide, yeah, you know what? It's not for me. I know you're not going to decide it's not for you. Frankly, Casper knows that too. But hey, it's your call and 100% your call no risk at all. You got to check it out. Go to casper.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks. You get free shipping in both directions. No risk to you. Check it out. Casper.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG. Our thanks to Casper for sponsoring this episode. And with that, John, I want to get into, we've, we've had a couple of, you know, meandering conversations today. I want to intentionally make this one meandering. Listener Phil writes. I have a mid-2012 MacBook Pro with 16 gigs of RAM and a 500 gig SSD. I'm looking for settings to maximize my battery life. I do most of my browsing with Chrome and Safari. Also, I was wondering if I take out the DVD drive, would that help battery life? So short question, but lots of information here that we can go on. And then we can kind of just, you know, kind of move out and and talk about other things that that help our laptop battery life. Uh, I will start by saying... Uh, first, I don't think removing the DVD drive is going to have a remarkable difference. Do, do, what do you think about that, John?:
1: No. Um, one thing I'll mention where you can look where you can monitor the relative power consumption of your MacBook is the wonderful uh, istat menus. And that they will show you several of the voltages, and, and that's part of power consumption. Of course, power yeah. is current times voltage, but it also shows the current draw of several of the circuits within it. So you yeah. could, and it also actually shows the, the draw of the processor. So uh, you could use that to empirically determine, but, but I sense that, yeah, I mean, if the DVD is not running, it's, it's drawing a minuscule amount of power. Right. Yeah, if any at all, it may yeah. actually be in like a sleep mode and actually be not drawing anything at all. I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah. it's, it's probably has to be drawing something if it's plugged in, but but nothing uh, you know, nothing consequential. Yeah. Uh, as far I yeah. as I know.
0: Okay. So we're in agreement there. Um with go and again going with with what Phil has told us here, uh SSD drives sometimes it depends on which SSD you have and how new it is and all of that. But sometimes SSDs can draw more power than their rotational counterparts. Uh, it, it, it really, you know, it, it's kind of all over the map, but it's certainly not out of the question that an SSD would be drawing slightly more power. And actually, in some cases, I remember in the early days of SSDs, we found some drawing quite a bit more power than, uh, than their rotational counterparts. But to me, that's a, that's a worthwhile trade-off, but maybe not. Maybe not
1: for you. Yeah. Well, you can get the, um, like actually, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that Dave because I am looking in my iStat menus and it shows an HDD, which I'm going to guess is hard disk drive. Yeah. Uh, and it's showing that mine is currently drawing 0.17 amps, which I think is, is quite miserly. Yeah. Um, but as you pointed out, the thing is, that uh, I think the current draw in a, or, or the power, uh, same thing kind of, power draw in a lot of hard drives is, the motor. Um, right. Right? Because it's got to spin a motor. Yeah. And yep. that, that, that takes power. Whereas, you know, an SSD is typically memory chips, which I would say, you know, uh, may, as you pointed out, Dave, uh, my, my experience has been that SSDs typically being memory devices, um, if it's good memory and efficient memory, uh will, will typically draw less power. Yeah. They, they could draw more. I think some of the earlier ones did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can get this, spe- but you can look at the specifications and, and, and they, they should give you that number.
0: All right. So let's now let's talk about software. We're, we will assume the hardware is going to stay the same. It's, it's either a negligible impact to change it or, uh, too great of an impact. I mean, even if his SSDs drawn more power than his hard drive, he's not going to change because an SSD is going to give him far more benefit and pleasure than, than a rotational drive. So let's uh, talk about, software. let's talk about software for, for perhaps a little bit. Uh, he mentions that he's using, he browses with both, both Chrome and Safari. Uh, my experience on both my laptop and on iOS is that Chrome draws about twice the juice that Safari does for this, for a similar task. Um, Now, I mean, for simple, simple web browsing, this is again, probably a minimal Delta, even if it's double, it's, you know, very little power. But if you're doing things like that involve say flash or you know any kind of uh, certainly Flash, I mean, you know Chrome bakes its own build of Flash into it, uh, whereas Safari uses the Flash plugin. I have found that for whatever reason, the the you know the Flash in Chrome uh, causes my fans to spin a lot more in my
1: in my laptop than than Safari does using the Flash plugin. Really? Yep. Oh, and, use the Flash plugin. I actually listened to our good friend, uh, uh, Mr. Gamet, who, who I thought was a, a raving lunatic. He is. Saying he should remove, <laughs> 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 but in a good way. Mm-hmm. But actually, I took his advice. I, I, I uninstalled Flash on both my computers. Sure. And when I do, and you know, I kind of shake my fist now at sites that say, oh, you don't have the Flash plug-in. What I do is I will run Chrome because Chrome has Flash baked yeah. into it.
0: Yeah, but uh, so that's my strategy and and but it is not the most power efficient strategy. Really? Uh, yep. Oh, okay. Yep. So if you're doing a lot of that stuff and I, I you know, I, honestly I I forget which if Netflix is still on flash or if they've moved, but but um but even still, even like uh I guess it's silverlight, right? That Netflix uses, if I can remember. I don't watch a lot no, of Netflix on my browser. Microsoft Steel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it I I think it I think that's what any whatever Netflix uses, it's more efficient on Safari than it is on Chrome with like by a long shot. Um, cause my kids watched on their laptops a, a bunch and, and it's, it's way better. I can't remember which one uses, which cause we have Amazon prime as well. And, uh, and all of that. So I, I, mm-hmm. I get confused as to which one uses which plugin, but it it's just, it, you know, it's just faster and it doesn't, it shouldn't be surprising, you know, Apple, Tweaks Safari to work extremely well on Mac hardware because you know they control the whole widget, and so you get a lot of. You know, my guess is it's not the um, processor-intensive things that are any different. I think when you need to use the CPU, you need to use the CPU. But I think what Apple does with Safari is they say when you don't need to use the CPU. Tell the CPU immediately, right? You know, whereas Chrome might say, well, we're going to need it again. So just, you know, whatever. Don't don't worry about it. Just go. It'll be fine. And I think Apple's a little more diligent right. about saying, yeah, go sleep. OK, wake up. Go sleep. Right. Wake up. You know, that kind of thing.
1: But I think I want to give you the big
0: picture. Can I give you the big picture? Yeah, Go. Oh, and and, and uh, John in the chat room is saying that Netflix is now HTML HTML5, which makes sense. And 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 again, Safari is is really really power efficient at that. Uh, so that 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 makes sense. Thank you, John. I I knew there was there was lots going on. One of them's Flash. One of them's Silverlight. One of them's with Hulu in the mix. I think one of them is is HTML5 or I don't know, but it's it, yeah, Safari's better in terms of that stuff. So other software, go ahead, John.
1: Yeah, I'm not. Well, I'm gonna tell you a piece of software that's gonna help you determine what other software is chewing your battery. Sure. And unfortunately it's built and I'm gonna I'm gonna say that there are two places to look. Okay. One for kind of a short term look and one for a longer term look. So if you run activity monitor, you're gonna see a number of tabs. One tab is gonna be the CPU tab. And if you sort by percent CPU, well guess what? The thing that is consuming the most CPU is Drawing the most juice, at least from the processor's point of view. So you may want to look at that list and see um, what's drawing the most power. Like right now, you know, I I got a pretty efficient, you know, uh, uh, what is it, i seven or i five in here, and actually, I'm running at a very low CPU utilization right now because I'm not, at least on my MacBook Pro. Um, I mean, the thing right now is showing drawing the most juice is kernel task, one point eight percent. But then over the longer term. Uh, And they added this category, which uh, gives you the bigger picture, long-term picture, is if you go to the energy tab, you're going to see energy impact and average energy impact. And likewise, we're talking energy, power, right? And the things that have the highest number, like in this case now, I'm going to look here, and uh, the thing that has the largest average energy impact, which I think is over a 12-hour window, or I forget exactly what the window is. Here, actually, oh look, spotlight. <laughs> huh. Not much I can do about that, but uh, you may see processes in this list here, and they could be—it could either be, you know, software that needs an upgrade or stuff that you didn't know was running that you may want to quit. Uh, it Could be background tasks and stuff like that. You know, like I'm looking here and I see, you know, Google Drive. All right, yeah, that has to draw juice because it has to talk to the network. Istat menus, Little Snitch, DD Assist. Um, look at the so between the CPU and the energy tab. That's going to tell you what your pieces of software, uh, which of your pieces of software are using the juice.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, I'd forgotten about the energy tab to do this. And, and one cool thing in the energy tab, if you sort, you know, you you sort either by energy impact, which is sort of the real time display. And then as John pointed out, average energy, energy impact, which is over time. And perhaps I guess both are valuable depending on the, what you're looking at, but, uh, like Safari, uh, you can twist open Safari and see the energy impact of each of your browser windows or tabs. So, you know, I can see, I have dot uh, Synology.com is open because we were talking about, uh, you know, the RT 1900 AC. So I just still have that website open and that's for whatever reason, um, there doesn't seem to be anything weird going on with this page, but that's using the most of any browser tab. Now it's not using very much. It's using like, you know, it's an energy impact of four. I don't know what that means, but it seems pretty low compared to the rest. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and close that tab because why not? And uh, and then it just goes away. So you can keep an eye on that stuff. That's handy, man. Good stuff. I like it. I like it. I like it.
1: I've also found... Um, so I also use... Um, kind of in real time, we'll tell you how... Tell me how much battery is left, but uh, uh, I love fruit juice. Yep. It's a really nice utility, but it also gives you a count which you can get elsewhere but but i, I choose to have a display this, this shows you how much battery you have left and one thing that i've noticed dave is if you don't need a network drive mounted unmount it because that's taken that's generating traffic if you're connected to a, a network drive. Or at least i found in my case is that if i if i unmount a network drive all of a sudden my time remaining will start to uh, creep up really so another tip Yeah, I think uh, just in general, I mean, there's network traffic, which takes energy. uh, In my case, wireless traffic. I I would think it's probably less of an impact on a wired network, but on a wireless network, definitely. Because if you're connected to a network drive, there has to be a a discussion uh, happening almost constantly, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's got it right. It's got a, yeah, there's some sort of keep alive transaction happening. Huh? So if you don't need a network volume mounted, uh, eject it or, or get rid of it. No, I found that. It's noticeable. And and like I said, I've seen my estimated, you know, battery time left actually go up when I've kicked off some network drives that I don't need. Huh. So, yeah. So another, another friendly tip there. Yeah. Yeah. Qu- and certainly. I always say cloud services too, if you don't need to be running the client for them, which, eh, well, I don't know if I'll take that back or not. But, you know, I mean, like I run, you know, I mean, I'm running Casa, Google Drive, uh, you know, a few other cloud services and, and those the same thing. They're yep. they're having a discussion. Yep. Well, you'll see them show up in the in the things I told you about earlier in activity monitor. If they're having a real big discussion, then you'll see them. You should see them show up in either CPU or energy impact. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Oh, very good stuff. God, I
0: love this. I'm I'm glad we had this chat. This is good. This is good. All right. Let's um. Let's move to Mike, and then after Mike, let's do Dave and see where we go with that, John. So. Uh, Mike writes, you know, I'm going to rant for a second about mail. When you go to create PDFs in mail these days, sometimes it takes the message and puts a, embeds a scroll bar, an unmovable scroll bar into the PDF. So you can't read the entire message. It's kind of a pain in the neck, uh, it did that to Mike's, but I can, I can read it because we just got lucky on this one, but you do, you got to look in the preview of mail and see if it's adding this weird scroll bar. And if so, you hit cancel and then you go to create a preview again and it's gone. It's a bug that's been in mail for what? Two OS versions. I think now, John, people are ranting all over it in the Apple support forms. We've tried to solve this. It doesn't get solved anyway. Mike, he says, I have a weird problem. Oh, in mail on El Capitan. He says, if I search or do almost anything in mail search, look at a different folder, et cetera, other than move from mail item to mail item within the folder, I get a preview. So he has his mail in three pane view. So he's got his folders on the left, the contents of the folder in the middle, and then the preview or the the message itself on the right in the, the middle window, it shows who the message is from the subject. And then he has it showing a three line preview of the message. It's fine. You can configure all that in settings. What's happening in his second column. If he does this search or really anything is instead of the contents of that taking up the full width of that column, it takes up maybe a quarter, the width of that column, leaving the remaining three quarters of that column blank. And as you might imagine, that's frustrating, Mike. So I went and I did some looking um, and it, it, as you might imagine, other people have experienced this and they say that going into, so it's males, essentially it comes down to this male's sandbox is dirty, right? So you've got to, you've got to clean males. Well, all sandboxes are dirty by definition, right? Well, maybe Mike's male sandbox, maybe the cat has been playing in it overnight. Uh. Right. So, yeah. So I think it's time to punt on male's sandbox. So here's the thing. We've got to remember where sandboxes are. Uh, if you go to your home folder into library, which you can get to by going to the, uh, if you hold down the option key on the go menu in the finder, you'll see library appear. So go to the library and go into containers. This is the sandbox. Uh, you're going to want to quit mail before you do any of this, by the way, I always forget that when I'm writing people's emails, I give them all these steps and I have to go back to the beginning. Like, oh yeah, quit the software that we're going to be mucking about with because you know, it's important. So quit mail, then go into the containers folder and find com.apple.mail. Here's the interesting thing. Apple doesn't quite follow their own rules with mail. They store some of the stuff in the sandbox, which is here in home library's container home library containers. They store other stuff in just home library mail, which is not sandboxed. And that's where your mail data is, your actual mail store and all of that stuff. Um, If you go into home library containers and find this com.apple.mail folder, that has a lot of your preferences in it, uh, but they're rebuildable. And so what I will suggest is instead of just deleting that com.apple.mail folder, just put it on your desktop. That way it's not gone. It's just over there. And when you relaunch mail, it'll rebuild that sandbox and whatever the cat did in there is gone because you've put the other sandbox over there. So that's typically the solution to this problem. And it's weird because, you know, you we all know to look in home library mail for mail stuff. We forget that there's this container, this sandbox out there as well. And if you look in the sandbox, it's got a lot of symlinks and, and such to the, you know, the other mail folders and stuff. So that's how it's all linked together. But you're not going to be likely aren't going to be deleting anything you care about. Uh, but but that's why we just move it out of the way before we uh, before we bring it to the dump, so to speak. If we're going to extend this analogy.
1: What do you think, John? I actually had to fiddle with containers the other yeah. day, and actually it had to do with uh, the fruit juice software. Oh, OK. And uh, an update was failing yeah uh the app store said hey there's an update for it and i'm like yay that's awesome and and it kept trying to download it and then it said uh sorry an error occurred try again yeah it was an endless cycle and i eventually found a solution which was to go into the containers folder and i think whack anything in there that had to do with fruit juice and then all of a sudden worked great it's very weird i don't don't know how it got in that state and i don't think it was a, a anything that fruit juice did wrong it it was, yeah, yeah. Sandbox gets gets filthy dirty. It's, <laughs> you got to clean it up.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's filthy dirty.
1: That's so right. That is a tip to people. If if you have app store problems, it may be. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah. Anything from the app store, it, it just by design, is going to be storing. I believe all, if certainly some, of its data in a sandbox. And again, the sandbox is if it it it's worth looking. Um, you'll see the way they do it. If you go into, you know, home library containers and then pick any one of these and you can pick the mail one uh, we've been talking about, you know, com.apple.mail, it doesn't matter. And you look in here, you'll see a data folder. But inside that data folder, you'll start to see things that look familiar. In fact, eerily familiar. You'll see desktop documents, downloads, library, right? Movies, music, pictures. It looks like your home folder. And that's the idea is they've sandboxed this. So they do have symlinks, symbolic links out to the things that they're not touching. Right. So like desktop in the mail one goes to death, goes to my desktop. Right. Great. No problem. So we have the same desktop folder. Same is true for downloads and uh, movies and music and pictures, but in the library folder, well, that's not sand. That's not linked out. Right. And then inside there, some things are linked out and some things are unique to it. And that's where this gets really, really confusing. And it's easier. You, it, you it's, you know, like anything. You're looking for a needle in a haystack. But in this instance, uh, you probably just move it out of the way and, and have it generate a new one when you relaunch. That's what uh that's what all the recommendations were. I, I don't have this issue on my machine, so it was impossible for me to test. But yeah. Sandboxes, it's always good to we, we we said it when they first introduced sandboxing. We are going to forget about this. And we're gonna have to remind ourselves. So here we are reminding ourselves again. You want to take us to Dave, John? Or, or at least just talk esoterically about uh, what, what, um, what you went through with Dave?
1: Yeah, and Dave's still going through something. Okay. But, um, but uh, to, to discuss, uh, because I think in, in the security realm, it's, it's important to talk yeah. about this. So um, so Dave's a developer, um, and he's got a MacBook Pro running Mavericks, um, which he knows he has to upgrade that. But, um, and he's also running something that I had not heard of, N-G-I-N-X... Yeah, Nginx. It's Nginx. Uh, okay, sec- probably the second most popular web server
0: out there, open source web server compared. You know, with Apache being the first.
1: Okay. Um, all right, and you can, and actually, I, you know, downloaded and compiled it um, using package manager. Uh, sure, you should be able to do with any package manager. Um, and here's his issue. Um, all right, so use it for development. Um, the web server listens on port eighty-eighty-one, which is not unusual. You you can have a web server listen on a port other than the standard ones, which are eighty and four forty-three.
0: Right? And when you and when you're doing development, that makes sense because on your home connection, Comcast uh, and most ISPs block inbound attempts to port eighty, so that you can't be running a web server. And that's, there's security reasons for that too. So it's it's totally, like you said, totally common to run it on a. Standard, non-standard port.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And he says he wants to test the website with his iPhone. And that means either disabling the firewall or opening up port 8081 for inbound TCP connections. My bottom line question is, how do I open up a port in the firewall on Mavericks in El Capitan? Um, and here's where it gets and then he says all right so i have this so that's the, that's
0: the gist that's the gist of the question is i i have these inbound things i want to manually configure my firewall on my computer so that it still is a firewall but i want to let connections into this particular port is that is that essentially what he's doing if we if we take nginx and all that other stuff yes. out of it that's the question he's asking and that's right?
1: essentially the question okay um and then we'll get to a, a quick primer here on, on firewalls. So first yeah. off, what is a firewall? A firewall is a piece of software that will typically block inco- unwanted, unauthorized incoming connections. Um, and two are built in to OS X. Uh, and they're actually both disabled by default. So you have to intentionally turn them on. Now, one is easy to turn on. And this is the one we'll call ALF. No, not the alien life form that like to eat cats. <laughs> but it's the application level firewall that is built into OS 10 and you can see it and, and get some details about what it's doing by going to security and private system preferences, security and privacy firewall. And you'll probably see that it's turned off. You may want to turn it on. If you'd like to discourage, uh, unwanted incoming connection attempts, that's the purpose of a firewall. Um, Now, if you look at the options, though, you you will see a little more detail about what it's doing here. So one, which is a good thing, so so one of the boxes here is it says automatically allowed signed software to receive incoming connections. What does this mean? And I'll link to an article. Apple explains this more, but basically it means any software that is from a a certified developer or Apple software like iTunes will automatically accept incoming connections because they figure they're legitimate. Um, There's also a list where you can add Um, So you'll see kind of a a mix of things in there. You can actually manually add applications there. Now, in this case, so that was one solution that I thought of is, well, let me add, you know, a rule to allow this application to accept connections. Well, that doesn't work, I think, because it's something that you compile and it's, and it's not signed. And so it's, uh, so uh, I was not able to get it to work with the application level firewall. But for a lot of applications, you may have seen this a lot of times. You may see, you know, you're running and all of a sudden it says, hey, would you like the application blah, blah, to accept incoming connections? And if you trust the application, you say yes. And then there's a rule that says, okay, let this happen. Um, here, the, so that's one option. So that's the one built in OS ten, and, and again, you may want to turn it on um, to discourage the bad guys. There's also another firewall Built in, and it's called. Uh, and, and Apple has changed over time. They used to have something called IPFW, which I guess was Internet Protocol Firewall. Now they have something called PF, which is Packet Filter. But uh-huh. it is also off by default. And the thing is, the two. And, and actually, if you uh, if you go to the terminal just for yucks, and you type man pf, well, you will get a manual page from Unix. Oh no, I'm sorry, you don't. Hmm. Okay, never mind. Ignore that. So. There's also a PF firewall built in, but it's kind of obscure how to even access it because it's off. Now you can enable its options from from the command line. So, like one is like, I think, pfctl is, is one command. Oh, and there yes. is a man page for that if you want to. Okay, yeah, all right. So pfctl, and uh, so the one command uh, off the top of my head, so if you do sudo uh, pfctl dash... Uh, Is it dash info, I think? Okay. Let me see if that's right. Uh, Or is it dash s info, I think. That's it. It would be yeah dash s space info. Yeah. Okay. And that'll show you the status of the PF firewall. And like I said, normally it's disabled. Um, So it'll show you the status, it'll show you if it's enabled or disabled, and it'll show you some interesting statistics about the firewall. Okay, that's all well and good. You can also use this PF control to, uh, again, enable it, disable it. And then here's where it gets kind of squirrely, is that if you want to set the options for it, normally you have to manually edit this file in slash etc slash pf.conf. Sure. And then we're getting, this gets incredibly technical. Because you got to learn PF speak, right? Mm, and, and I right. don't know PF speak. Do you know PF speak? I I actually um, <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe you know some of it, and I, no. think I know a little too. I,
0: I this is the first I've heard about PF. I, I I've used IPFW before. I've seen people talk about PF. I saw the the email trail coming through this week. I honestly until this moment I thought it was some third party firewall that uh, he was installing, and and that's why pre show I was like, man, are you sure you want to go into this? This seems like really corner case, and it trust me, it is corner case stuff, but it's built into os ten and that's where it was like, oh well, we should talk about this at least a little bit, so here we
1: are, yeah, right, so if you want to get more control over the firewall in os ten yeah, you can run, you can enable and you can run p f but like i mentioned it's uh you know you, you're going to have to start at, normally you have to start editing text files and learn PF speak to define the rules and stuff. And who has time for that? Well, maybe, maybe you do, but I got a shortcut, Dave. All right. Fortunately, somebody wrote a piece of software called Muris. And what is it? Or I think that's the right way to pronounce it. Um, and it's basically a graphical front end and you can actually download the light version, run it for free. And it basically graphically allows you to define rules Or incoming traffic, outgoing traffic. So for example, you can say, let me define a rule that will allow incoming traffic on this port, which sounds like exactly what our listener would like to do. And then it also show you the text of that rule. So to me, this is a learning tool. Um, and I see it as no, it's nothing more than a graphical front end. It's not doing anything sinister. And, and if it's going to change something in the system, it'll warn you. It's like, oh, would you like me to create a script or a configuration file that'll do this for you? Well, you know, say yes, and I will, but otherwise it's not doing anything bad to your system. If anything, it's helping you learn PF. And also the documentation is, uh, is pretty darn thorough. So that's one thing. I would strongly suggest you check out this software if you want to. Um, no, I want to, I want to talk or, about because it lets you turn. It, it, so once you define the rules, you can say, okay, enable PF and then you're done. And then you, and then you can see if, if what you did is correct. And if it is, then you could, you know, cut and paste that test, but, but go on.
0: Well, I, so when you first started talking about this, I thought, well, I want to talk to the folks at HanyNet, H-A-N-Y-N-E-T. Right. Because they're the ones that built Water Roof, which was the front end for IPFW in earlier versions of OS 10 and and did all these things that you were talking about. And it's like, wow, so now there's two. And then they made something called Ice Floor, which was the first PF front end for OS 10. And it's the same people, perhaps with others. But but, you know, Hany El Imam is the lead developer or one of the two developers. I don't want to say he's the lead, but he's one of the two developers on Muris. So it's the same people that have been developing graphical front ends for OS ten firewalls for a decade uh, are the ones that have built Muris. So it is the logical extension or logical continuation of what started as Water Roof years ago, for those of you that have been listening that long and, and you know, have heard us talking about it. So, yeah, Mur- why, Muris is it. Why would you not want to use Muris? That's, I mean, I, even... Even if you want to learn PF speak, use Muris to create the rules and then go look at the rules it creates and say, Oh, that's how that's done. Okay. Now I want to do this one little tweak that maybe Muris can or can't do. I don't know. You know, and that's, that's usually the answer.
1: All right. Good stuff, man. Nice. Fine. That's one option, but I'm going to offer you another option. Okay. So if you want to host a web server to do development on your system, there's another piece of software that I can recommend for you, Dave. Yeah. And it's made by a company that we're all very familiar with. <laughs> and it's called OS ten server, which currently, under the latest operating system, is uh so you can either get OS ten server if you're part of the developer program, which is currently I think ninety nine bucks for two years or one year. I thought it was two. One year. One year. Yeah. yeah. I think I paid and then they extended mine for some they changed some part of the plan but anyway. oh because they consolidated things yeah if you had memberships in multiple programs yeah right, right. okay so uh, so if you're part of the developer program you can run for development purposes which sounds like that's exactly what's happening here you could download and I actually have OS X server installed on my systems here yeah. and OS 10 server uh, it's also it's similar to Muris in that it provides a nice front end to things that are already buried in the operating system and one thing that it it lets you enable. Dave is a web server, though. So, you know, at first I was scratching my head. I'm like, why are we using this NGINX thing? And and you actually opened my eyes to this. So the thing is, the web server that's included with OS 10 and the one that you activate if you get OS 10 server is HTTPD, which is the Apache web server, right. which is a fine product. But and maybe I'll, you, you explained it to me. I'll let you explain it again. Why you may want to not use httpd yeah i mean well there's there's it it,
0: there's two reasons you might want to want to use one over the other one is simply religion right you know whatever you've been raised on and whatever you're comfortable with you know you can make arguments for either one but uh we actually use both um you know we use apache for a lot of what we do but we also use varnish as a front end to that to make it more efficient uh we use nginx as um to only serve the images from our ad server. So we're using nginx as a very lightweight, very efficient, very stripped down web server. It doesn't have to be configured that way. You can it can do other things. It's it's actually quite robust if you want, but it's also it can be pared down and be really really efficient and simple. We used to use something years ago called boa and and that was, you know, sort of end of life um, and and we moved to nginx and it's it's been great. Uh, you know, could we run our expression engine thing or WordPress, which was what we're moving to back backend at TMO on that. Uh, yes, we can run it on NGINX. Uh, there's no reason we have to use Apache, but um, yeah, you know, it, 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 like I said, it's the differences have, it's probably narrowed more than it's forked, but, but the NGINX can be used to be very efficient. There, there's people that like it. And again, like you said, it comes down to the language, right? You know, do you know, how to configure do you know how to write apache configuration files do you know how to write nginx configuration files which do you which are you more comfortable with which do you prefer well then that's going to be the server you want to use uh, in 9 times out
1: of 10 just cuz it gets up and running faster um, right and the yeah. nice thing uh, and because it's OS10 you can and I actually found this uh, so it seems that if you enable uh, certain things using OS 10 server, it actually behind the scenes is configuring pf. So if you enable the website through OS 10 server, one thing it lets you set is permissions as far as who can access it. Which, gee, that sounds like a firewall, doesn't it? Which I think is exactly what it's doing. Right. <laughs> and you also, and it also gives you some flexibility. You can extend it to to understand PHP, Python, uh, CGI. Um, and some other things and you can also define you know what ports it lives on and stuff like that so that may be another option if you're going to be doing if you're just going to be hosting web pages to test with an iphone then you may want to consider using os 10 server and either throw down the 20 bucks or I'm, I'm sure our friend is already part of the developer program if he's doing yeah that. right development work so get os 10 server and maybe maybe give
0: that a spin so i have uh I have two, actually three things to address because the chat room started asking me all kinds of questions. Uh, first, Jim, Jim D has a great way of describing sort of the surface difference between NGINX and uh, Apache. NGINX does six things instead of Apache's 50 and does five of them much faster. That's the general school of thought on it. And, and again, is, is exactly why we're using the two the way we're doing so that's that's number one. Thank you, Jim. That was perfect. Great summation of the the, the differences. Um, as far as TMO, we run Apache. As I said, we run currently a system called Expression Engine as uh, our backend, a CMS called Expression Engine. We are actually very, very close to changing that to WordPress. We've got the template built. There's just a couple of things we need to tweak, and then yes, we will move TMO to, over to WordPress. You as a user or reader of TMO uh, may not notice a difference at all. Adam Christensen, uh, who does MacCast, uh, also works for us and does all our programming and, and all that with us. And he has done a stellar job of temp- of porting our template over. So it, it really works very, very well. On the back end, obviously, those of us that publish there will see it. it's a radically different interface. And, and in many ways, much, much better for the way we do things today. So yes, we are moving to WordPress. I'll, I'll talk more about that as the, as the time comes. Lastly, uh, I've got a better option for you. Uh, probably possibly better option for you. Uh, instead of using OS 10 server, which is built into OS 10, um, there is something called MAMP, M-A-M-P, which is, uh, taken off a spinoff, uh, in name, of LAMP, which is Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. It's a very common development environment. It's a very common production environment. It is what we use at at TMO. Uh, MAMP is Mac OS X, Apache, MySQL, PHP. And yes, all of these services are built into OS X, but it's not simple to compartmentalize them. You can, if you know how to configure Apache and you want to mess with all that stuff, but MAMP lets you run it as an application and when you are done with your development environment you simply quit MAMP and away it goes it nothing is left running after that it 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 manages all these services that are there and you can pick which version of PHP you want to have and which version of MySQL and which version of Apache and you can have it with the light with the light version you can essentially run one configuration at a time with the uh you can pay I guess it's MAMP Pro uh and run various configurations and have a whole lot more options. So for a developer, MAMP is killer because it really, it lets you kind of sandbox for lack of a better term, all of this stuff in a very easy to configure way. And and it's what I use here when I'm pointing at our development stuff, because Adam makes me use uh, GitHub and, and version control now, instead of just editing live code on the, on the site, you know, like I used to. So uh, I have to develop here and then push changes and log them and all that. It's much better. He's, he's right. It just, you know, um, I used to like the, the living without a net, I guess, except for when it bit me. So anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, develop on a live server. What possibly could go wrong? I have a list actually. Funny you <laughs> asked, John. <laughs> yeah. it. um, I, you know, for the most part, it's really handy. You just push a change, reload. Oh, looks great. Awesome. We're done. You know, um, Except push change. Hey, how come there's errors everywhere? All right, let me undo and save. Nope, that didn't fix it. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, you know, whatever. It's all good. But yeah, MAMP is cool. If you don't have MAMP, John, I I recommend downloading the... I use the free version because I don't need... I only need one environment at a time. You know, so it's it's no big deal for me at all. In fact, I don't know that I would take advantage of anything in the pro version. But Except now that we have this simultaneous path going where we've got expression engine and wordpress running so I might actually need to buy map pro now which which yeah. is fine
1: yeah. yeah I actually the last time I needed to do some web development I actually was pretty happy with OS 10 server and uh, I think it was somebody asked me to write some PHP code and I'm like yeah. oh look at that yeah it's fine so, it's fine in, but, uh, yeah. but no I, I get it there's a yeah there's certainly alternatives so yeah. uh, I think we covered a heck of a lot of ground here okay so firewall's good um, OS 10 server good um, and uh there's some options for developing web applications or web serving. We just mentioned not one, not two, but three. Yeah. Or two yeah. and a half, right? Okay. Yeah. We
0: promised we were gonna get a little geekier. Here we are. All right. Well, I believe that brings us to uh to the end of what we're going to wow. chat about this week. Where's that whiz to buy? Like ten, ten. Feedback at MacGeekCab.com is where you can send in your questions, your tips, your comments on the show, anything you want to tell us. We would love to hear from you. Right, John? Feedback at MacGeekCab.com is what I believe you said. I did say feedback at MacGeekCab.com, except if you're a premium listener. We had questions from several premium listeners and some cool stuff found as well. Uh, If you are a premium listener... You get a benefit there. Premium at MacGeekCab.com. That's the box we check first and more frequently. Uh, though we do check the regular feedback box at least once a week um, as we kind of go through and prep the show, and sometimes even more often than that. So uh, thank you to all of you who are premium supporters. We, we really couldn't do this without you and really appreciate it. You are all welcome to call our new number. Somebody please test this, because right now it's just been John and I. 224 888 geek which is John and always will be 4335. Yeah, it's true. Nobody, and that's why the old one expired because uh, no one was using it because we have all these other methods now to get in touch with us. So, you know, the phone has become the least, which is, you know, I mean, kind who, of who, a, a who, sign of the times, right? Who uses a phone as a phone anymore? Exactly. Exactly. So there you go. No problem. But. You know, you can text that number, too, now, because it's a Google Voice number. So if you wanted to text us for any reason, 224-888-GEEK, which, John, is? Uh, 4335. Should work. That's right. Uh, We would love—I know we've asked for this recently, but I'm going to do it again. We would love to have your iTunes comments. If you haven't left one for us, please go to iTunes and leave us a comment. It won't take you very long, and it really does help us out. Uh, that's one of the metrics Apple uses to choose whether or not to feature our show. And the last time you folks went and, uh, and you know, it didn't take many comments from you. And all of a sudden, you know, we were, we were featured again. So we really appreciate it. Uh, new listeners, anybody out there that hasn't left us a comment yet, please go leave one. Um, we, we appreciate it and it's good for you too. And with that, I want to thank all of you for listening. I want to thank Cashfly at dot com for providing all the bandwidth for getting the show from us to you. I want to thank all of our sponsors. Of course, the three we mentioned in this show, Harry's at harrys com with coupon code shave5off, Smiles, PDF Pen Pro at smilesoftware.com slash geek. Of course, Casper at casper.com slash MGG, coupon code MGG for 50 bucks off. Gazelle at gazelle.com. Uh... Squarespace at squarespace.com slash mgg, Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com, some of the best hardware and support you're going to find. Of course, Barebones Software at barebones.com. I hope you have a great week. Uh, I'm going to be in San Diego visiting SmartDraw this for a couple of days this week. I hope you have a great week. I hope we all have a great week. Hope you have fun. I hope you've learned something. And between now and the next time we talk to each other, I hope that you don't get caught.
1: Made up.